0: We've asked thousands of people to tell us about a time that they've been at their personal best. Everybody's had a story to tell us. There were some universal things that people did when they recalled the time that they had been at their personal best. What we came to call the five practices of exemplary leadership. Whether it's Ketco Vector or Santa Clara University or any organization, everybody's capable of leadership. We can enormously be more successful by embracing these five practices and thinking about what we can do to become the best leaders that we can be.
1: The voice you just heard is Dr. Barry Posner, one of the foremost authorities on the subject of leadership throughout the world. Barry and his colleague, Jim Kuzis, have spent their lifetimes studying what makes great leaders. They wrote The Leadership Challenge, one of the most popular textbooks for leadership in the world. This award-winning bestseller details the five practices that are most common when leaders are operating at their best. We dissect these five practices in this content-rich conversation today. If you're listening now, I know you aspire to be an exemplary leader. The world is great because you are in it, and it will be even better when all of us learn to rise up and to meet the leadership challenge. Welcome to Changing Lives Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. This podcast was originally created to spotlight the leaders, alumni, and friends of the Cutco Vector Marketing community who are leveraging their positive influence to empower people all over the world to change their lives. Every few weeks, We go outside of the Cutco Vector sphere to bring you a guest who is teaching others how to have a more successful and fulfilling life, both personally and professionally. The special guests we bring to you here in episodes like today's are successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. The lessons they share are compelling, real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome, everybody. I am honored today to have Dr. Barry Posner as my guest on the podcast. He is the Occulty Endowed Professor of Leadership at the Levy School of Business at Santa Clara University. That is where I went to school. Barry has been there since 1976. He served for 12 years now as the dean of the school. His education ranges from uh, UC Santa Barbara undergrad in poli sci to his master's at The Ohio State University uh, to his PhD in organizational behavior and administrative theory at UMass Amherst Eisenberg School of Management. Dr. Posner is one of the world's foremost scholars on the subject of leadership. Uh, He's the co-author of at least a dozen books on the subject, and he's best known for his award-winning book, The Leadership Challenge, which has sold over 3 million copies in 22 languages all around the world. The Leadership Challenge has been recognized as one of the top 100 best business books of all time. And we're going to dissect its five core principles today. Dr. Posner, thank you so much for joining me.
0: Dan, my pleasure so far.
1: (laughs) Hopefully, it'll stay that way. Certainly. We'll see. Well, you got a Bronco here. So hopefully, uh, that'll be great. Good. Yeah. So, your signature work is the Leadership Challenge. Why don't we start by having you tell us how this book and the principles that are in it came about?
0: Well, Dan, Probably while while you were an undergraduate student, uh, in 1983, my co-author Jim Kuzis and I were doing a two-day leadership seminar. The first day was being done at the time by a fellow named Tom Peters, uh, Tom Peters and Bob Waterman, a few months before that. So this is February, but a few months before that, they had published a book called In Search of Excellence. Still find that book around. It was about what excellent companies do. Yep the two-day program, but the second day was, uh, you know, I think people came for, for Tom Peters, but they stuck around the second day for Jim Kuzis and Barry Posner. And uh, Tom talked a lot about what organizations need to do, but it was really a, really aimed at being a senior executive. And uh, and <laughs> there's very few people at the top. So right. our audience, you know, like, like the people we're talking with, you know, listening in Dan with us today, you know, they're not, you know they're not the CEO of the company you know they're they're important people doing important things. and so we had the challenge the next day to try and take this down to an individual level. So what do you do at your level? you know you're you're a frontline supervisor you're a you're a manager, a division manager, a general manager. What do you do you You can't make everything happen just because because you say so. So that day, we didn't have uh, as many answers as we think we have uh, today. Six editions now of the Leadership Challenge and just finishing writing the seventh edition. So what we learned that day came about because we asked people to tell us about a time that they had been at their personal best as a leader. Mm. That question has guided us for more than 40 years of continuing to collect case studies and data around the world of people answering that question, filling out a questionnaire, writing an essay about that time. And what we discovered that particular day was that when we asked people to talk about a time they'd been at their personal best, whether it had been two months ago or 10 years ago, whether it had been in uh, sales and marketing, whether it had been in finance, uh, HR, law enforcement, high technology, you know, you name it. And whether you were tall or short, thick or thin, you know, blue or green, none of those seemed to make a difference. It's somehow that there were some universal things that people did. When they, when they recalled the time that they had been at their personal best. And that day, we were, all of us were awestruck by the similarity in our findings. And Jim and I w- would spend then a few more years collecting more data and then publish the first edition in which we talked about what we, what we came to call the five practices of exemplary leadership.
1: Excellent. The question of tell us about a time. When you've been at your personal best or you've seen someone at their personal best as a leader. It uh, reminds me of a principle called appreciative inquiry that is pioneered by David Cooper writer.
0: Sure. Are you familiar with with that and with David? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is really built upon, if you will, even today we talk about kind of a movement in positive psychology. Right. The notion of building from our strengths. We'll talk about modeling the way, and we'll I'll make the comment that we can learn we we learn more from positive models than we do from negative models. Yeah. Negative models help us figure out what not to do, but they don't necessarily help us figure out what it is that we're supposed to be doing. And one of the things that we found, you know, if I sort of go into these five practices, we found that one of the most important things that people did when they were at their personal best is they they set a personal example for what they expected of others. And in order to do that, kind of the precursor to do that, was that they needed to first of all what we called kind of clarify your values and find your voice before anybody can follow me, I've got to be willing to follow me, you know. So I, I I've got to figure out what it is that I care about and what's important to me and what I stand for and what I what I'd be willing to you know talk about convictions, what I'd be willing to be convicted for, right? Um, and and if I can do that, then it's possible it's possible for me. To have great credibility, uh, to uh, we call it wit, do what you say you will do. Right. So, so these are the things that I, I say. I make these, pr- and you know how important this is in sales. You know, you make a promise, and you better keep it. Uh, you know, maybe you'll, maybe you'll continue to get that sale, but you won't get a you won't get a, the next sale if if you don't come through on your first on your first promise. And when and for cut goes, got certainly a promise that it makes. And it stands by that 20 years later, I can, you know, I can return a product if, yeah. it doesn't, if it's not working. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a lifetime promise.
1: Right, right. We'll definitely get into talking about credibility today. Mm-hmm. I know that's one of the things that I have to ask you about and, and how that's developed and how sometimes it's also undermined. Sure. Um, so you've got the five practices of exemplary leadership. We have model the way, inspire, shared vision. Uh, challenge the process, enable others to act and encourage the heart. I can remember learning about these things 30 plus years ago, uh, and beginning to put them into action in in my own uh, business and my own personal life. So I'd really love to get into these five practices. And the first one uh, in the uh, most recent edition of the book here is model the way. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Well, as as I started to say it when we ask people to tell us about their personal best, they didn't necessarily say, "I modeled the way," but we use that as a term to capture the things that they did say that they did. They were clear about their objectives. They were clear about who they were. They had values that they were clear about, and, and they lived those values. They held other people accountable. They were deeply committed. They led by example. These would all be things that people said they did when they were at their personal when they were at their personal best. Or when when asked, so tell me about the best leader you've ever worked with. Tell me what he or she did. These are the kinds of things they would say that that's that's what my you know my my best leader set a great example. Mm-hmm. You know, was was the kind of person we'd want to to emulate. Never made a promise that he or she couldn't keep. So what's what's really critical, and in some ways is a place that that leadership begins at a personal level. Is begins with answering the, with answering the question well who am i because leadership fundamentally is a relationship between those who would be led and those who would be those who would willingly follow right and in that relationship like any relationship you want to know well who is this person what are they like what do we have in common and from that i can figure out whether i want to be with this person uh, engage with this person follow this person do what this person asks me to do, believe this person when they tell me these, these are the facts or these are, this is what the horizon, you know, looks like ahead. And the other, the other piece here is that the other thing that leaders do, because they're clear themselves about their own values and standards is that it makes it easier for them to hold other people accountable to the same. So they work hard to what we call a firm shared values. Um, so in this relationship, Dan, it's a, uh, you know, it's not just these are my values and I don't care about yours, but rather these are my values. I'm interested to know about yours and I'm interested to find out what are the things that we share and in common and that we can hold each other accountable for. Yeah. So so that's really, that's where it begins.
1: I really appreciate that it begins with who a person is as a leader. What are their values and, and finding ways of making sure that that is projected out to the potential followers, right? You said leader leadership is a relationship between those who want to lead and those who would want to follow. And, and it seems like that what, what people follow is the leader first more than the vision. I see, I see a lot of leaders that will promote like, Hey, here's what you can do. Here's where you can go. Uh, And they're promoting the vision. But if they don't have that relationship, if they don't have that connection, that credibility, the vision doesn't really matter.
0: Yeah, we call that the first law of leadership. If you don't believe in the messenger, you won't believe their message. Mm. So, you know, we can say all kinds of grand things. But in the end, if we don't believe the person, it's very hard for us to somehow pay attention and to believe, believe their message. And you know what's what's kind of very true these days, but but it's been true for decades. Is is generally when people when people quit, they quit their manager. They don't quit the organization, hmm. quit the relationship. It's it's uh, you know I, I I leave this organization not because I don't care about the product or the service, the people where we interact with. I'm just leaving this organization because. I don't believe in the person that, that is supervising me. I don't believe that they're honest. I don't believe that they care about me. I don't believe that they keep their promises. And so I'm going to go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into another relationship. I'm not that's, gonna stay a, here. that's
1: such a great insight, Barry. You know, I'm going to ask you some questions throughout this that pertain to our organization and just some of the growing pains we've experienced through the pandemic here. But, you know, in 2020, obviously, we were forced to change everything that we did in a very short amount of time and in literally in about 5 weeks in march and april we virtualized every element of how we operate and it worked great in 2020 when there was nothing else for people to do and there were no jobs and you know it was everything worked really well for us but in 2021 and 2022 we've been trying to navigate which of the things we changed to were are effective and which are not. And one of the things that I look at is this element of connection to the leader because in up to 2020 a young person working with us would have been around their manager several times a week. They would have had this relationship where there's side conversations going out to the car after a meeting, where there's lunches, yep. where there's all of this like personal connection that really tied people in. And While I don't think we have done anything that's sort of on the, you know, the bad side of like damaging uh, relationships, um, I don't think most of our managers do things that are sort of negative examples. We have failed to do enough of the positive stuff of connecting with people during this sort of virtual age. And it's one of those things that we're trying to work through right now and figure out, you know, how can we find opportunities for greater connection while maintaining? Some or many of the innovations that we've that we've created over the last few years. So it's just a, it's a real challenge for us right now to navigate.
0: Well, absolutely, and it's and it's and today it's the it's the and not the or. It's high touch and high tech. Mm. Not, it's not either or. Uh, the pandemic, you know, has shifted the balance, but we're coming back now. Where, where where I think actually even more so, we really do want to to be with people. Right. Uh, And so much of the knowledge that goes on in an organization is informal. It's not written down and it's the lessons learned through experience that's oftentimes given, you know, moment by moment. So, yeah,
1: exactly. And, And modeling the way a lot of times is when you're physically right there watching how someone acts, how they interact with someone, how they treat someone, how they respond to different things that come up. Right.
0: Yeah. And there's an old joke about kind of consultants, but you could, you could, you could put some other kind of person in it, but it's like, it's like consultants, you know, know, uh, 50 ways to make love, but they have no relationships. Hmm. So, you know, it's, you know, you can, you can read about how to drive a car, but eventually you have to get behind the wheel. And so the, the challenge for us is, is to have that opportunity to kind of, you know, kind of get, get behind the wheel and, you know, while we talked about positive psychology, the, the other truth is is that we also make adjustments because we won't always get it right. And and you know, one of the, the one of the clear things that you, you you and your colleagues have already learned in sales is it, you don't get a hundred percent of the sales, mm-hmm. um, and you can do everything right, and still you don't get the sale. So so it's important to kind of also have have a sense of perspective. In in all of this, and some of that comes through the through the leader's ability to, to tell stories, you know. And I'm sure Dan, over your years with Cutco, you've told lots of stories about when I was a young person starting out, you know. And here's you know here's what I learned, and here's what I learned from my mentors, and and here's some things that you know that I that 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 I've discovered are are kind of some some truths. No matter who I'm working with, I need to be I, I need to be doing these things and there's an art to all of this not just a science because what we might do with any of these five five practices we need to understand something about the environment you know so how we model the way in a sales and marketing organization might be different if you were in the accounting function or if you were in 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 the transportation industry it might be different than if you were in healthcare but gosh you know everybody would would clearly say you know the most the most important role model that I have in an organization is my manager mm-hmm. and we and we remind people that to the people who report to you, you're the most important leader in the organization uh like it or not because some people say but i didn't i don't want it I don't want to be the most important leader, but that's the truth uh yeah,
1: you earlier said that You're talking to important people doing important things, even though they're not CEOs. And that's really how I view every leader in our organization is they are the most important person to the people that report to them, that uh, follow them. And they've got to be able to set that positive example and and build that mentoring relationship uh, as you've described.
0: Well, and, and everybody in your organization, you know, from, you know, from a customer perspective represents the organization. I mean, right. You know, I I know Cutco through the person who sold me the product. You know, yep. I, don't, I don't know it necessarily through you or hundreds of other people in the company. That, right. That young man or woman who comes to my home, or you know, I I meet someplace. They are the company. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so it's important, kind of who we are and 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 who we are and and how we are.
1: Uh, yeah. And that credibility you described in your, and I've seen a Ted talk where you say credibility is the foundation of leadership.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and, and in that Ted talk, I say that, but I also talk about how you need to understand you're the most important leader in the organization and you can't do it alone. It starts with you, but it doesn't end with you. It mm-hmm. starts with you and it ends with them uh, because it's hard to imagine you can be a leader if nobody's willing to follow you. So. Again, that's the importance of understanding this is a relationship. It starts with you, but there needs to be an appreciation for the the paradox of leaders turning their followers into leaders.
2: Hmm. I want
0: to be in a relationship with you because being in a relationship with you makes me better, makes me stronger, makes me more efficacious, uh, makes me happier. And if that's not the truth, then why would I want to continue to be in, in, in a relationship with you? Mm-hmm. I'd look for some other relationship with, whether I'm talking about you, an individual, or you, the organization, you, the team. I want to feel good about myself in my relationship with you.
1: Right. This gives every leader a great opportunity to think about how are they modeling the way for their people and, and how are they... Making people feel in that relationship, and and is it the right foundation yeah. for everything else that we want to accomplish?
0: Yeah, and that's if we talk about these, you know, in in some kind of order. When we talk about enabling others to act, that becomes a really important principle to think about. So, in this interaction with this other person, how did I, how did I behave in such a way that made them more confident, made them more competent? How did I leave them stronger as a result of this? conversation this interaction because that would be as a leader that's what we call enabling others to act Um, yeah you can teach everybody about your product so they're competent in your product but if they don't have the self-confidence to to uh to go up to strangers and talk right then uh then all the product knowledge in the world isn't going to isn't going to make a difference
1: yeah exactly exactly i'm excited to make sure we get to uh all of these five sure. practices here. The second practice is inspire a shared vision. Tell us a little bit about
0: that. Well, again, when we were talking with people about their personal best, no one said I inspired a shared vision. But what they did say were the three important concepts. One is that they had a vision. And oftentimes they didn't use the word vision. They used I had a I had a goal, I had an objective. Years ago, we, we interviewed Andy Grove uh, as one of the founders of Intel, and we asked him about. So, what was your agenda when you started Intel? And his comment was, "I didn't have I I didn't have a vision. I had a burning agenda. So there was something passionate that I really cared about. Uh, and it, and it was and it was something that didn't exist today. It was something future oriented, uh, very very important. Leaders are focused on the future. We'll see that when we talk about challenging the process. But leaders are focused on the future. It's um, it's a notion of, of not just thinking about kind of if, if I were in, in uh, first responder in, in, in fire. Well, we're seeing this today. You know, we're really trying to spend more time on fire prevention so that we don't have to fight fires. So we're trying to think about, OK, next year, what do we need to do in the forest and the hills and the mountains now so that next year we don't have to fight so many f- fires Because if we don't think about that, then every year we're going to be kind of doing the same thing over and over again, which is, you know, fighting fires and complaining about, well, why haven't we cut back the trees and the brush and this and the that? I see the ads for PG&E, which is saying we decided to underground, you know, lots more lines because in the long run, that's going to cause, that's going to reduce the likelihood of of fires starting to our equipment. So one, it's about, it's about vision. Secondly, it's about sharing the vision. And so, lots of times when they're at their personal best, people talked about, I had to get buy in. I had to communicate, communicate, communicate. So, if in real estate it's location, 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 for leaders it's communicate, communicate, communicate. You can't, you almost can't over communicate when it comes to leadership in terms of, of kind of having a, a theme, a, rep, a, a repetitive sort of theme about you know you're always talking about and depending upon the company you're talking you're talking about sales you're talking about customer service or you're talking about safety or you're talking about innovation but that's a that's a mantra that everybody in the organization knows that that this this is what we're this is what we're focused on and uh and they all and they all kind of share that vision and then the inspiration comes from you got to get excited about it You got to be positive. You got to be optimistic, not unrealistic. Even to say these are tough times is to say that these are tough times, but as to put them in perspective, there's always been tough times. (laughs) And, you know, and and we've gotten through those tough times and and we'll get through this tough time too. Uh, And even if I don't know exactly how today, I'm confident that with the good people we have around me, we're going to be able to figure this out. We're going to, Persevere, and as you said, and in five weeks we're going to change from in-person sales to virtual sales, and when we're going to do it, we did, we did it.
1: Right? Yeah, and that certainly is the same mindset around how we need to navigate, you know, the, the current challenges in our business. I love the fighting fires analogy you use because the way I feel like some people operate their business and their life is they're constantly fighting fires, and they don't think far enough down the road. To be able to prevent the fires, instead, and that's obviously a much more effective way of operating is thinking farther down the road and having a little bit more of a longer term view.
0: Absolutely, we 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 oftentimes say that leaders need to be to be thinking beyond the end of whatever it is they're now doing. So don't wait till you get to the end. So even even when we're working with students, it's not you know, don't wait till you. You know, to you graduate to think about what you want to do in the next stage of your life. Start thinking about that before you get there, and maybe some of the things you're going to do today are going to be things that you're the decisions that you're going to make today, because they're going to propel you to some place that you want to be in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other analogy, you know, is kind of surfing here. You look behind you for those big waves, and then you you know then you get ready to, then you get ready to ride them and ride the powerful ones. And get your yeah. and get yourself going. So so inspiring a shared vision, the other piece of that is the fact that, that leaders are also kind of making sure again this importance of sharing is that they're really enlisting people. So so again, it's not just my values, but it's our values. It's not just my vision, but it's but it's our vision. So so, that- so
1: is is the vision best created top down or is it best
0: created bottom up? It's created collaboratively. It oftentimes, I mean, you know, a famous example of that is, is, you know, in 1963, Martin Luther King says, I have a dream. I have a dream. And he says, but in order for this dream to be accomplished, here's what we are going to have to do. We're going to have to struggle together. We're going to have to fight together. We may have to go to jail together so that my four children can walk hand in hand down the street safely with your four children. So it's not just about you know, let's do this because then my four children will be, will be safe. Let's do this because my four children and your four children will be safe. So we have to share this. And, and the longevity of an organization is, is oftentimes because from generation to generation to generation, we continue to have the same, you know, the same commitment to a, to a set of values and beliefs and principles of how we're going, you know, how we're going to be. And I think it's perfectly okay to ask the question, well, to be sensitive to the question that other people will ask uh, their manager, yeah. so what's in this for me? Well, I think you need to be able to answer that. And it's really probably not so much what's, what's in it for me or for you, but what's in it for us? And, and oftentimes, what's in it for, our, for the customer or the service that we're providing? I mean, that's the other thing that we're we're seeing that organizations need increasingly to be purpose driven. One of the things that's so great typically in, in in a sales function is you get close to customers. I mean, you know, if you're if if you're not, then you know, you're you're wondering, you know, so why should I care about whether this um whether the quarterly financial statements work or don't work, you know, but because I don't have a sense of the customer or a manufacturing person who's putting you know product together, but doesn't necessarily see what somebody does with that product. That sense of, of purpose, increasingly for millennials, is a choice that they're making in terms of why I would want to be in this workplace versus another workplace. So that's another part of, if you will, it's inspiring a shared purpose. Look, the question you have to kind of answer is, why do I care? Why do I work so hard? And why should you work so hard? Why should we all work so hard? Mm-hmm. And it's not just about the hard work; it's about the why.
1: Right. The leader's values are they're internal; they're uncompromising. The goals or the objectives that the leader or the team has should be sort of collaboratively created by involving some segment of the leader's team
0: or following. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. If, I mean, I, ideally, you would like everybody in the company to feel like they were an owner, because mm-hmm. I mean, just th- you know, thinking you know, owners have a certain kind of mentality, you know, in terms of how they care about what's happening in the entire business, uh, and they understand what's happening in the entire business. They understand even if even if they're in one part of it, they understand the totality of it. At Santa Clara, we have a number of intern internships. In which people work in in very small businesses, and one of the things that they learn there is something like just simple as cash flow <laughs> you know just right. how that works itself through the or- organization that you might not see if you worked at uh, at apple you know you might you might not appreciate kind of that understanding of the total business that an owner uh, has an appreciation for
1: yeah, for sure, every rep. In Cutco is an independent contractor. And so they truly are the owner of their own little part of what they do. And they get that, a little bit of that mentality. Like we really try to teach that, the the sort of the self-employed mentality, even if you end up being an employee somewhere. The self employed mentality, I think, is an important part of what people learn working with us.
0: Yeah. You know, there's some interesting research that suggests that people who have had experiences, entrepreneurs, and so I'm, you know, independent contractors, owners, end up being more successful over the course of their career than those who have never had that experience. So even if their business, for one reason or another, wasn't successful or they sold it and moved on, that experience, I think, is. I think is truly invaluable and the research suggests that that experience uh, also you know, pays you back many fold later on in, in your career as you, even if you work for a 10,000, 100,000 person organization, you carry that mentality with you. Yeah,
1: for sure, for sure. So inspiring the shared vision, that's our second practice after Model the Way. Uh, the third practice you have is challenge the process. Can you unpack that for us? Sure.
0: Well, you know, in in all of this, you know, we call the book The Leadership Challenge because, you know, challenge is the opportunity for greatness. There are certainly a lot of hardships that came out of the pandemic, but there was a lot of innovation. There are a lot of people who got a chance to do something that they hadn't had a chance to do before. Um, you, You know, the whole work from anywhere, uh, which is which is going to continue in in one in, in, in many different forms uh, and the technology that's developed to, to support that that wouldn't have happened uh, without without this challenge without this hardship so leaders kind of deal with this in in the in the process of, of at their personal best they talk about how how they approach challenges with with kind of an experimental, perspective, like a scientist would. I don't exactly, you know, a scientist sort of says, I don't exactly know the answer to this question, so I'm going to set up an experiment, a pilot project, a demonstration project, uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of different terms for it. And, And then we're going to collect some data, and then we're going to look at the data, and we're going to kind of figure out what we learned from that. And in that sense, leaders are great learners. They're willing to you know, if you will, kind of fail, 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 fail. This is sales too. Fail, 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 and then you get, and then you get a sale.
2: Yeah,
0: and probably really true when you're first starting out. So it's that notion that that what leaders do is that they're willing to, they're they're really, I think, kind of mentality is that they have what we call a growth mindset as opposed to a fixed mindset. They they believe that they and others can in fact learn and get better, as opposed to a fixed mindset, which somehow says, "Look, you know whatever it is that you now know, or however good you are now, is kind of is it's kind of fixed. It's kind of locked in, and you're not really going to get get much better with that. But if you have a, a growth mindset, then then you appreciate that one of the ways that you're going to learn is you're going to learn by uh, by trial and error. Great teachers, as long as you. You don't get into a rut of making the same mistakes over and over again. Right. And that's where, by the way, mentors and coaches and the best managers can help is to make sure that, you know, when things don't. In fact, one of the things we, we look at is in an instrument that we have called the leadership practices inventory. One of the key questions about about leaders is, you know, to what extent does this leader ask the question, what can we learn? When things don't go as expected and direct reports indicate that the more frequently their manager has that kind of viewpoint, asks that kind of question, the harder they're willing to work, uh, the happier they are being in this organization, the, the, the greater sense of satisfaction that they get from the work that they do, uh, the longer, the more hours they'd be willing to, to, to put into their, into their jobs, uh, yeah. And so, and again, that's a part of enabling others to act. People need to be able, they can't get any better if you don't give them chances to do things that they haven't done before. And I'm confident, you know, at, at Cutco, you know, you, you, know you, you start in this smaller safe space and you get a chance to take on bigger spaces over time.
1: Exactly. Yeah, for sure. We, we um, I think that we epitomize the growth mindset concept i feel like that is part of the fiber of who we are and so there's always a striving to learn there's always a striving to improve and there's always some level of innovation our innovation curve spiked in 2020 by necessity mm-hmm. and so now what we're trying to do is find the balance between the ways we challenged the process and you know some of the tried and true methods that always worked in the past, I think that a difficulty some people in our organization have is what I guess I would, I would describe as sort of a desirability bias. So like working at home or operating virtually, like they're all easier and more expedient and people want them to work at a higher level than they have lately. And I have a mentor of mine that I was talking to one time about something we were talking about angel investing, And he said, the problem with you, Dan, is you're too optimistic. So I've got this, like, you know, wanting of things I like to work. And I'm trying to figure out where's that line between challenging the process and, okay, that's not working. We got to make sure we do things this way that we know does work.
0: Well, Dan, let me tell you that that's, that that we don't know where that line is. (laughs) (laughs) that that reminds us again that leadership is an art and not a science you know there's not a right. not a formula and you get better at knowing what that line is like the more experience that you have and the more experience then you can share with with others short of you have young kids with young kids you only let them make small mistakes you don't let them make big mistakes you know you're not letting you're not letting your 8 year old drive a car but when that kid gets to be 16 you're going to have to so the challenges that they will face over time will should and will and should be and, and should be different. I think the the knack perhaps of being able to to kind of constantly innovate is through what we call the process of small wins. So, you know, we're delighted to see um, Aaron Judge, you know, hit 60, you know, hit 61 home runs and maybe a few more in the days to come. I'm, I'm now dating this this conversation, but, you know, over, over time, the, you know, the the baseball players that have the highest averages are guys who get, you know, singles and doubles. And the same thing is kind of true of studies of innovation. Even the, you know, famous Google has more small wins than they do kind of, you know, moonshots, big investments, and it's those small wins. And so it's, so, so maybe the optimism is, you know, I've got this idea way into the future, but I've broken it into some some steps, and sometimes uh, along the, the path, it's going to be two steps forward and one step back. But yeah. we would have never taken that one step forward if we hadn't been willing to take the risk of going two steps forward. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. If, if if you like analogies, it, it's it's as simple you know, it's a simple for for sailors. You don't get to be a good sailor without going on a sailboat. And you don't get to be a good sailor if you never sail in a storm. And any sailor knows to get from point A to point B is never a straight line. Right. Because you can't control the wind and the currents and the ocean and, and all, all those things. So progress and learning is is never a straight line. It's always, you know, hopefully it's kind of up to the right and then there's kind of maybe a plateau. And then it's maybe you're going to go up to the right again and then plateau. That's that's what it looks like. So we shouldn't uh, be too discouraged when everything doesn't go exactly the way that we, that we planned.
1: Yeah. I like the idea of the willingness to make small mistakes while trying to avoid the you know big ones. I think sure. that has some great relevance that people can consider, you know, how they're applying their strategies for the years ahead for both our company and anybody else. That makes a lot of sense for sure. That was good.
0: Those experiments... Those small wins, you know, Dan. We're talking about these five practices as if they were all unique and independent, but they're not. When you, as my manager, demonstrate that you're challenging the process, you're 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 trying to learn new things yourself. Well, that you're modeling the way for me in terms of saying, "Oh, I guess you know, if 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 my boss is willing to make some mistakes, I guess I guess I should be willing to make some mistakes too," particularly. In pursuit of perfection, in pursuit of getting better, not to make mistakes for the purpose of making mistakes, but in the pursuit of getting better, we understand that we won't, you know, always get it right. Um yep. but my I see my manager also kind of setting that example. I mean, gosh, if you want if you want to kill innovation in an organization, tell people you gotta get it right the first time. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, Okay, fine, I'll just do what I'm doing <laughs> because you know, at least, you know, bet, better the devil I know better, you know, th- yeah, this is, yeah, this is working well enough. Uh, I don't want to take the chance that somehow, you know, maybe I could get better, but maybe I'll get worse. And-
1: yeah. Good insights. That really leads well into the fourth practice, which is uh, enable others to act. Help us understand a little more of what that looks like.
0: Well, remember when people are at their personal best, we ask them, so what, what were you doing? And, and without exception, they always talk about that, they had to they had to get other people to buy into this, inspiring a shared vision. But they also had to build a team, and building a team, you know, involved involved making sure that other people felt felt enabled, felt strong, felt confident. And even when they perhaps didn't feel conf- confident themselves, they felt the confidence that their manager had in them. So many people told us that when they're at their personal best. They weren't at the beginning sure that they could do what they were that they were asked to do or what they had signed up to do but because their manager believed in them that's kind of had my manager has high expectations of me you know Dan thinks I can do this I've never done this before I've never I've never gone to that kind of a customer I've never handled this kind of product line I've never supervised that many people but Dan thinks I can do it Dan thinks I'm ready to take on this challenge. Dan's got my back. Well, all of a sudden, you know, I'm I'm maybe willing to do some things I've never done before. Yeah, um, and and in and in those ways, I've been enabled to act to to do things that I didn't think that I I could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the training programs you have, the leadership development programs that you have at, at Cutco Vector are perfect examples of trying to make sure that we continue to grow and grow and develop people so that they can take on greater and greater challenges or realize greater and greater opportunities and that sense also of enabling others to act is also about making sure that that people understand that they're not in this all by themselves so building a sense of of what we call psychological safety mm-hmm. that you know Look, we all want to be 100% successful, but sometimes we're not going to be. And so is this a safe place to talk about the fact that I blew it with that customer or, you know, I didn't follow up enough or I didn't do this or I didn't do that. And uh, here's what I learned from that. And I hope the others on this team will learn from that. Or the tension that sometimes happens in a, in a team, particularly a group of people that have been together for a long time, is, you know, uh, getting along with one another becomes more important than figuring out how we could be better. You know, not rocking the boat becomes kind of a a, a way we, we deal with making sure everybody feels safe as opposed to gosh, let's uh, let's support each other. When we try to come up with ideas that, that might initially feel uncomfortable, but might take us to a place we've never been before. And we'd all be better off because of it. In some cultures, uh, I know when I was doing some work in Australia, they have a expression of cutting down tall poppies. And so, you know, the person who raises their hand and somehow says, Well, I think maybe there's a better way to do this. Everybody goes, Well, if there was a better way to do this, I'm sure somebody smarter or with more experience than you would have come up with that. So what makes you think you're so smart and cut you down and put you back, mm-hmm. you know, sit there quietly and just do what you've been told to do. Well, that's in high-performing organizations, Dan. You know this. Everybody in the organization feels like they're a leader. And when you look the word "leader" up in a dictionary, it's not capitalized. You know, it's not a position or a place. It's an attitude. It's a sense that somehow, for everybody in your organization, feeling like this place wouldn't be as good as as it, as it is if it wasn't for whatever it is that I do. Just before the pandemic, I did a I did an in-person session. The start of the school year for one of the local school districts here, and we were talking about this. And I remember one fellow was was saying to to me. He said to me, and he said to the group. He said, "Barry, you're absolutely right." He said, "You know what my group does here in this in this organization, this school school district? We're 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 absolutely the most important." And of course, I didn't know what what he did, but he 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 said, "You know, you don't know what I do, Barry, but I'm in charge of the transportation." He says, "We run the bus system." you know, and if we don't do our jobs, the kids don't get here to school. It doesn't make a difference how good the teachers are, how great the food in the cafeteria is, how, you know, lovely the campus looks. They don't get here. doesn't matter. Well, you know, we'd like everybody, no matter what they're doing, to somehow feel again. And then once the kids get here, if we don't feed them right, then, you know, then that's going to be a problem. And if we can't you know, we can't keep the lights on in the building. That's gonna be a problem. And so everybody's trying to make sure that that they're that their part, that their piece of the puzzle mm-hmm. makes a difference. And they're acting as if as if their piece was was the thing that kept everything together. Right. Uh, that's how we really enable others to act.
1: Mm. I like that. Just making sure each person realizes the importance of their role on a team or in an organization. One of the things I've really strived to get into the bloodstream of our people is the idea of embracing feedback, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether we agree with it or not. It's the only way to create that situation where the tall trees aren't cut down, right, is where you embrace any type of feedback, embracing even dissent um, so that people can feel comfortable disagreeing. And that that's like you said, that's how the best ideas end up being formulated, right, is that somebody takes you from this place over here and moves you a little bit over here because they're way over here. And it, it helps you arrive at what the truth is. A lot of times when that type of uh, interaction exists between the people on a team.
0: Yeah. If we want to get better, we can't get better without knowing how we're doing today and then be able to get, you know, and then, and then if we want to get better then trying to figure out, well, what would we have to do and practice it, get some coaching and measure it again to find out whether or not we made some improvement. Now, interestingly, Dan, I've been trying to change my own language here, suggesting that you know that people want feedback, especially con- feedback that confirms how great they are. Mm. So, and few of us want to give feedback that doesn't that doesn't do exactly that. So, I've been suggesting recently that. Really, what we ought to be doing is we ought to be really asking people for their advice. Mm-hmm. Advice doesn't have the same evaluative sort of notion that feedback does. So, mm-hmm. so instead of saying to somebody, "Well, tell me, you know, tell me, uh, give me some feedback on how I ran that meeting," I might ask rather, "What advice would you have for me about how we can make those meetings more effective?" Mm-hmm. So, you know, what are two or th- two or three things that you might suggest that would that would make the team more cohesive. What advice would you give me? Advice just people can come up, you know, people can brainstorm and come up with ideas without having to to sense that this is a criticism of things that you're doing well or not doing well.
1: Yeah. Great one. Oh. I like that. That's excellent. Nice. In terms of uh enabling others to act, Barry, how does somebody mix, you know, the idea of empowerment? and delegation and letting people do things, but make sure that we don't lose sight of the importance of results and accountability.
0: Sure. Well, we talk about, about leaders provide guided autonomy.
2: Mm.
0: So, you know, so it's not, uh, it's not, the, and, and part of, again, inspiring a shared vision is to provide that guided autonomy. So it's, it's not like you can go Northeast, south, west, you know, any direction you want, None of us are that powerful. <laughs> we can do whatever we want. right? So here, as, a, as my manager or as the organization, you guide me and you sort of say, look, this is the direction we're going to go in. We're going to go in north. We're going to treat customers in these ways, not in these other ways, but in these ways. We're going to say that these are things we do when it comes to safety. I mean, these are so we can provide people some guidance, even if we suggest that there's more than one way to get there. So. Leaders oftentimes need to be clear about the, what we might call the end goal and the means by which people should use to get there, but not necessarily the steps that people want to take. You know, if you watch, uh, you watch in particular amateur golfers, you can appreciate that, you know, while everybody starts in the tee box at the same place and everybody has the same objective to get the ball in that little cup on the green there are an enormous number of ways to get from, you know, point A to, to, to get to point A to point B. And sometimes with the exact same scores, there are better ways to get there. But gosh, again, amateurs, you know, we know that we know that we don't always hit the ball. We seldom hit the ball straight. So, you know, so we're zigzagging to, to kind of get there. And uh, the other wonderful golf expression is if, if you knew your next shot was going to be great, you wouldn't worry about how lousy your last shot was, mm-hmm. um, and that's a, a kind of an interesting leadership idea as well. You're going to make mistakes, but if you learn something from it, then you wouldn't you wouldn't care so much that 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 didn't work out so well. In fact, you might say, "Gosh, I got more out of that because from what I learned, than I might have had that been an easy, an easy sale or or, yeah. or or an easy act. Yeah. Then that leads us, Dan, to it's we call we like to say the fifth practice. It's not the last practice. Because encouraging the heart can't be the very last thing that you do. Right. Because people need to be encouraged all along all along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, a small win is an act of encouragement. Given an opportunity to do something that you've never done before, you know, and take a risk is an act of in some ways is an act of encouragement because it says, gee, this person trusts me. This person believes in me. And again, when we're at when people were at their personal best, they didn't say I encouraged the heart. They said I made sure that I recognized people for their accomplishments. We celebrated. We we made sure that we enjoyed each other's company. We use the term encourage because it has as its root courage. That in, in essence, what we need to do, if we're going to ask people to do something they've never done before. They, they need to feel not just in their hands and in their head, but in their heart. They need to believe that somehow they have the courage, the fortitude to be able to do something that's never been done before. So leaders have to kind of know their people well enough so that they can figure out an individual level. How do I make sure that this person feels appreciated and valued, not just for what they do, but also for who they are? and then how do i celebrate our accomplishments realizing that that running back who's who scored you know who who ran for 200 yards comes back and the first the first group of people the football player he wants to to thank are the linemen because they were the ones that made it possible for for him to gain 200 yards exactly and you to take them all out to dinner and buy them steak and make sure they stay big and healthy (laughs) Uh, because, because they make it possible for him to be, to be successful. Um, So we want to, we want to try to, to, to bring people together to also appreciate the fact that again, you're important, you know, you matter, but you can't do it all by yourself. Yeah. And that comes back full circle because the things we ought to be celebrating and recognizing come back to what we identified as model the way in terms of, well, what are the principles and values that we hold dear? And let's make sure that we're recognizing people who are doing those things. Yeah. I think a classic example, Dan, in sales is, you know, you say teamwork is really important, but, you know, the gal or the guy who gets ahead is the one who, who's got the bo- best bottom line results, but doesn't, doesn't talk to anybody else in the organization and never shows up for team meetings. You know, I know at, at one, one large retail organization, people are getting, getting paid primarily on commission, but they, but they keep track of how many sales that you write up to make sure that you're not hogging kind of, you know, what's going on in, in the store. So that, mm-hmm. so that you're finding the balance there of trying to kind of be successful, but not to engage in a zero sum, uh, kind of competition. Mm -hmm. Uh, and particularly then, you know, not, you know, making sure you don't put down your teammates say, well, I'm sure you didn't get, you know, didn't get helped very well by that other person. So let me, you know, let me see what I can do.
1: Uh, Yeah. Yeah. That's not so much a issue, uh, that we have in that there's, you know, we can pretty much create our market and it's an endless, endless supply. In essence, I want to ask you Barry, about, positive reinforcement versus negative reinforcement with encouraging the heart. Yeah. I had a, I have a friend whose wife is an animal trainer. And one time, one time I asked him the question, what percent of animal training is positive reinforcement versus negative reinforcement? And I thought he was going to give me like, you know, 90, 10 or like 95, five. And he said, it's a hundred and zero. (laughs) Uh, Animal training is a hundred percent Positive reinforcement, zero negative reinforcement. Now, I've been a leader for many years. I'm not so sure that's possible in leading humans. I'm not sure that's possible in parenting kids, that it's 100% positive reinforcement. But I've always strived to get that to find ways of flipping feedback or flipping correction into being somehow positive and steering toward the future versus harping on something that already happened and we can't change. Sure. How do you view that balance
0: well, between positive and negative? You know, with, reinforcement? you know with, with negative negative reinforcement, you think about it think about it with a dog when you you know, you can take a newspaper and and hit the dog when the dog does something wrong. And then what the dog learns from that is to avoid you when you have a newspaper in your hands. Mm. Doesn't it doesn't learn the right thing to do, but but avoids being in your presence when you have a newspaper in your hand mm. that's what happens in particular but it happens with, with it happens with people too when when you don't get along with your boss you make an effort to avoid your boss you know and you can do it in a variety you know a variety of different ways sometimes just quite passive you just can sit there and and don't say anything and and, don't, and even and even when you think you might have something to contribute you just don't bother because you'd be happy to see your boss be unsuccessful. So that that's a little bit of kind of human nature. Now, the research suggests something like this, suggests that that kind of in the workplace the what's called the PNR the positive to negative ratio is something over time that's about 3 to 1. Right. Um, and and that's both verbal and nonverbal. You know, the nonverbal the positive nonverbal is, you know, the smile and your eyes lighting up. The nonverbal is rolling your head, looking down, sighing. There's a classic study that looked at project teams, you know, and, and what they found was in the best project teams, the ratio was about six to one. In average performing project teams, the ratio was only about, was, was only about two to one. And in the lowest performing teams, the ratio was about one to three. The lowest performing teams, everybody spent time complaining about what everybody else was doing, not taking any responsibility, but saying, well, if you had done this, and if you had done this, and if it wasn't for that, we could have, you know, they just spent their time that, you know, doing those kinds of things. So it's not a, you know, again, it's not, it's not formulaic, but it is trying on balance to be able to make sure that you're you're on the lookout for people doing things right. Yeah. And and again, right back to model the way. What What is right? How do I know what the right thing is? And how do other people know the right thing is? And how do other people know that I know what the right thing is? They know it when I go to them and say, you know, we said this is the right thing and you did the right thing. And I want you to know that's terrific. And keep up doing the, doing that right, whatever that right thing is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know that that's why, for example, when it comes to encouraging the heart, we talk about making sure that that encouragement needs needs to be both personalized to the five year old, to the fifteen year old, to the thirty year old, um, and it needs to be personal in the in the sense that you personally need to be involved. Encouragement is not is not done very well secondhand, and is not done very well when there's a big time lapse between, uh, you know, you know. Gee, Four months ago, you did a really good job in this case. Well, a right. lot's happened since then, and uh, and you only heard it third hand. I mean, the, can you imagine? I, this happened recently. I went I went to a wedding, and the officiant got the people's names incorrect. You know, didn't see the West, you know? what you know? Everybody kind of chuckled. You no, know, obviously didn't know these people very well. It was kind of you know, if you will, it was kind of just there doing a the job, right? as opposed to hoping who the officiant, the leader in that wedding ceremony, you would hope, you know, would know something about the couple and would have at least spent some time learning about the couple and learning something about them personally. Of course. So so when you call somebody on stage, you know, or when you interview me or somebody else, you know, you want to make sure you get their name, right. Uh, Exactly. Something, something, you know, perhaps as small as that, but you know, the, the, same thing, you know. Shows up in a lot of different ways. Yeah, and encouraging the heart is often it's the it's the little things that typically matter more than more more than actually the financial stuff.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I like the, what you said about the three to four, five, six positive interactions for everyone. That the one opportunity for negative interaction or a difficult interaction or one where there is negative re- negative feedback or a punishment or stuff like that. Those are going to happen. They're going to come up. The key to having that three, four, five, six is to look for all of the opportunities to have positive interactions and to take them when they come up. Be a good finder. Someone yeah. catches people doing things right. You, as catch,
0: you, you catch all those things, down because you kind of build credit in the bank. And then when you have to yeah. go to the person and, and withdraw, yeah. oh, you know, look, you you know, I think you're terrific. And yet in this particular incident you weren't you weren't at your best right and 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 i'm telling you this and here's the other piece of it i'm telling you this because you know that i have your best interests at heart you know and so while this is this is a you know it's it's what we might even call a difficult conversation but you know that the reason why i want to have this conversation with you is because i believe that you're a good capable person and you and you want to to do good you know, you didn't get up this morning and, and ask yourself, well, how can I screw up? Even if you did, but it wasn't your intention. So let's let's kind of unpack this and see what we can learn from it and make sure that it doesn't happen again.
1: Yeah. Great example. I, I like how you put that. That was great. Barry, this has been awesome. Fantastic value added for the audience. I want to uh, fire one last question at you, which is this. I know you have a principle that leadership is everyone's business. And I just want to let you wrap this up by explaining why you feel it's important for everyone who's listening to strive to become an exemplary leader.
0: Well, thank you, uh, Dan. And thanks for the opportunity to, um, to talk about these, these ideas that I think are so important. Because in the end, high-performing organizations are filled with people who believe that they make a difference. And that's why it's everybody's business. Because if we're not striving to to be our best, no matter where we are in the organization, from the, from the frontline receptionist to the top of the organization, we need everybody to feel like that they're making a difference and that, that what they do, what they do matters. And so, you know, whether it's Cutco Vector or or Santa Clara University or or any organization, and that's a, that's a sense of making sure that people also feel empowered. If you go back to the data, being at your personal best, we've asked thousands of people to tell us about a time they've been at their personal best. And just, just take a moment and think about this data. Everybody's had a story to tell us. Everybody. doesn't make a difference. Their age, their gender, their nationality, their function. I mean, just as a leadership scholar, just imagine what this means. If everybody is capable of telling us about a time that they've been at their personal best. We immediately have to conclude that everybody's capable of leadership, mm-hmm. and then and then when we ask people to say, "Well, tell us about what you were doing," well, obviously everybody's the context, the context and the content may be different, but the strategies, the actions, the behaviors are are so very similar that if we can engage, if we can remember these five practices, we can we can increase dramatically the probability of being effective. It's again, it's not a science, not, you know, you can do all this stuff and and still get fired. You can be a, a head of the marketplace and, uh, and things, and things didn't, things didn't work out, but for all of us, we can, we can enormously be more successful by embracing these five practices and thinking about what we can do to become the best leaders that we can be. And, I think for those of us that are in actual positions of leadership, we actually owe it to our people. I speak about this as a moral imperative. We owe it to the people who report to us to be the best leader that we can be. They want us to be that, and we owe it to them.
1: Agreed. Couldn't have said it better myself. That was fantastic. These five practices have been a part of you know who I am as a leader going back 30 plus years since my time there at Santa Clara University. Sure. I'm really grateful for that and grateful for the wisdom that you have shared with the world and uh, really, really appreciate the fact that you've taken time to be with our audience here today, Barry. Thank you so much.
0: Well, I appreciate it. And thank you again for this opportunity and nice to catch up with you a few decades later.
1: <laughs> exactly. Thanks. Sure. Sure. There you have it, folks. Dr. Barry Posner, such a wise and experienced and just a person of such great depth in this space of leadership. The first practice modeling the way, right? A leader who knows who they are at their core has clear values, right? And objectives that spin out of or are based on those values a leader who is deeply committed to what they're doing and thus leads truly by example. I love Barry saying that the messenger is more important than the message, right? That's first, right? Who are you as a leader? Uh, He also mentioned the importance of high tech and high touch in that section, which I think is a great reminder for all of us in the Cutco Vector Sphere who are navigating this sort of post-pandemic world. The second practice was inspiring a shared vision. Communicate was one of the key points there. Communicating the vision. You cannot over-communicate the vision that you have. Having a vision also that is collaboratively created. Communicating with passion, right? Something that you're passionate about that's positive and optimistic. And then that WIIFM concept, what's in it for me, helping people see the benefit to them of being a part of that vision. A greater vision, by the way, creates more accountability for individuals to hit their own individual goals. And that's why I've always felt like everybody should buy into team goals because it gives you an added reason, an added tool in your toolbox to inspire and motivate yourself to be at your best when you know that other people are counting on you because you're a part of something bigger than just you. The third practice is challenging the process. Barry said that a challenge is an opportunity for greatness, right? And so anytime we look at new ways of doing things or ways of improving, ways of growing, we're allowing ourselves the opportunity to become great. That growth mindset that he described, which is so critical, And the idea of being willing to make small mistakes along the way to the success that you aspire to. The fourth practice was enabling others to act. I love where he said that feeling that somebody believes in me, right? Do you give people that feeling that you believe in them? Do you communicate that to your people? And then encouraging feedback, or as he said, encouraging advice, which opens the doors for all sorts of ideas to be shared, and helps us to arrive at the best ways of operating, arrive at what is the truth about any situation that we're trying to learn about or grow through. He used the word guided autonomy when describing the process of delegation blended with accountability. And then, of course, the fifth practice was encouraging the heart, the idea of Giving people opportunities to act, opportunities to do things that they might not otherwise do. Like I think about the Cutco Vector Branch Manager Program as a classic example here of where we give people a tremendous opportunity to do something way out of the bounds of what most young people would even attempt. And then finding small wins, celebrating those accomplishments, right? Catching people doing things right such great ideas, such a great framework for what makes a tremendous leader, an exemplary leader. And as Barry said there toward the end, there's a moral imperative for us who are listening to this podcast today to all become the best leaders that we can be. We owe it to the world to become the best leaders that that we can be. The world needs more leaders, needs more people to Show the way and inspire other people, and to do all of these things that Barry described as the elements that have made people at their best as a leader. And these are all things that uh, we hope that each of you listening can learn and can implement and can live in your personal and professional lives. Thank you so much, Dr. Barry Posner, one more time. I really appreciate the value added to the podcast today, and I hope you got a lot out of this episode. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.